people of Israel, and then also to the nations, Almighty God. We are truly enriched. We are truly blessed. So, Father, now as we turn to your study of your word, the preaching and teaching of your word, we ask that your presence would continue to walk with us, leading us into all truth. We thank you for the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of the living God that you've given to each of us. Fill us to equip us, to inspire us, to lead us in the presence of serving our Holy Father, that we walk in unity with the Father, His Son Yeshua, being led by the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. We ask for a new filling, that you would change our hearts and our minds, transform us into the image and likeness of your best servant, who is Yeshua Himself. Only did what, what he saw, what the Father is doing, and only shared the words that the Father wanted him to speak. He did nothing of his own accord. And Father, as you have given us these days, and you've numbered our days on this earth, may we do so, Almighty God, using our time wisely to the proclamation of the good news to everyone, and that may you strengthen us, Father, and help us make Talmudim. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. So today we're going to be finishing up Acts chapter 17. The Acts of Yeshua's emissaries, Hishelakim, Acts chapter 17. And today we will be beginning here in this verse uh, 15, Acts 17, 15. Give you a few more seconds to uh, find your place in your scriptures there. In Bible college, they said you should take your time, the one that's preaching or teaching, to find their place, because that gives everyone additional time to find their place in the scriptures. So Acts 17, verse 15. Shaul's escort went with him as far as Athens, then left with the instructions for Sila and Timothy to come as quickly as they could. While Shaul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit within him was disturbed at the sight of the city full of idols. So he began holding discussions in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearers, and in the market square every day with the people who happened to be there. Also a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers started meeting with him. Some asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others, because he proclaimed the good news about Yeshua and the resurrection said, he sounds like a propagandist for foreign gods. They took and brought him before the high council, saying, May we know what this teaching is that you're presenting. Some of the things we are hearing from you strike us as strange, and we would like to know what they mean. All of the Athenians and the foreigners living there used to spend their spare time talking or hearing about the latest intellectual fads. Shaul stood up in the council meeting and said, Men of Athens, I see how very religious you are in every way. 
For as I was walking around and looking at your shrines, I even found an altar which had been ascribed to an unknown God. So the one whom you are already worshiping in ignorance, this is the one I proclaim to you. The God who made the universe and everything in it, and who is the Lord of heaven and of earth, does not live in man-made temples, nor is he served by human hands, as if he lacked something, since it is he himself who gives life and breath, everything to everyone. From one man he made every nation, living on the entire surface of the earth, and he fixed the limits of their territories and the periods when they would flourish. God did this so that people would look for him and perhaps reach out and find him. Although, in fact, he is not far from each of us. For in him we live, we move, and we exist. Indeed, as some of the poets among you have said, we are actually his children. So, since we are children of God, we shouldn't suppose that God's essence resembles gold, silver, or stone, shaped by human technique or imagination. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he is commanding all people everywhere to turn to him from their sins. For he has set a day when he will judge the inhabited world and do it justly by means of a man whom he has designated. And he has given proof of it by resurrecting this man from the dead. At the mention of the resurrection of the dead, people, some people began to scoff, while others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. So Shaul left the meeting, but some men stayed with him and came to trust, including the high council member Dionysus, and there was a woman named Damaris, and the others came to trust along with them. So now as we look now a little bit deeper into this portion of scripture, we will notice some things here. Rav Shaul is proclaiming the good news to a people that do not and have never read or possibly even heard of the Tanakh, the Old Testament. And so the means of bringing the good news to this people, he now focuses on those people's culture. As he's walking around in the midst of all these shrines that are throughout the city of Athens, and the city of Athens was a very, very large city. It had a huge population. There were many temples, many shrines to these pagan gods, and people had a choice how they were going to worship these pagan gods. There was given instruction. There were both priests and priestesses, both male and female priests, that their work their occupation was to lead people into the right and proper worship 
of these pagan gods. And this went to the point, point of being very, very profane. Think of this in that setting. You have male priests and female priests. And part of the actual worship is entering into sexual conduct. Male with male. Homosexuality was actually a rite in some of these pagan uh, shrines as you worshipped that particular pagan god. Adultery with the women was part of an act of worship. So now as we read the scripture here, and as Rav Shaul is walking through this whole society, you see, he grew up in a city where of Tarsus. Tarsus was not a major Jewish city that was run by Jewish people. It was run by pagan people. There were pagan shrines. And so Rav Shaul was familiar with this culture, with this Greek culture, because he grew up in this system. But he also was a Jewish man and his family, they would attend that local synagogue in Tarsus. So the poetry and, and the language and the literature of the Greek culture, he was familiar with because he grew up in that society. And so when the spirit of the living God sent him to Athens, and notice this, there was an escort with him. But soon after he arrived there, he sent for Silas and for Timothy to join him. And there was no uh, Zoom. There was no WebEx. There was no Telegraph. And he didn't want to, to go and sit down and write a letter because you think our mail's poor now? Think about that in the ancient world. It took a long time for mail to be delivered. And so the best way for him to send the message was to release his escort, which actually was probably a younger man that was there to protect him and to watch over, watch his back. Because what had he been doing? But he'd been proclaiming the good news, and there were those that were there that were out to take his life. And so he releases this escort, and he sends him back. And like I said last Shabbat, this is over 400 miles from Athens to uh, Berea, where, where Silas and Timothy are now discipling and raising up a Messianic congregation within that synagogue. These people were being transformed. The veil that had been between these Berean Jewish people's eyes was being removed, and they were receiving and putting their trust in Messiah. And the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of living God, was doing a great work in their midst. And so now Rav Shaul is walking through Athens, and his spirit is beginning to grieve. Why? Because here's a people from all the nations who are gathered here, and they're worshiping these pagan gods, these false gods. He has the truth of the good news to proclaim to them. But if he starts to proclaim 
portions of the Tanakh, it's just going to simply go over their head. They have no reference point. And so what is, does he do? He's led by the Spirit of the living God to start quoting portions of what their own poets have written. You see, God has reached into every culture, every time frame, of, since man has existed on this earth, he's made a provision to know him, to reveal himself. And he's, and he's, and he's used the culture and the languages of the people to give them opportunity. Because I truly believe this. I believe that from the time of Adam and Eve going forward, the Spirit of the living God has been searching the hearts and minds of people and revealing the truth of God to them. See, nothing has changed. And God does reach within a person's culture and language. If you notice, those missionaries who are sent out, they must first learn of the culture and language of the people group that they're speaking to so that they can use those insights so that when they build the bridge of the people receiving revelation of, of, of the good news, God first uses the language and the culture of the people. And so now he's now taking and he's, and he's, he's commending them and saying, you know, I see that you're very, very religious. But here you've even gone to the point of making a shrine to an unknown God. Because he knows this. They don't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If they truly knew him and embraced him, there would be very, very few shrines in the city of Athens. And so with this, he uses these things to begin to build the bridges. Because he doesn't know if God is going to produce a miracle. Notice here, while he's in Athens in chapter 17, there's, he's not walking by people and then his shadow casts on them and all of a sudden people are raising up as, as being uh, uh, crippled. He's not laying on hands on people and healing them. He's not doing these things. This is a brand new way of proclaiming the good news. And so now let us now look closer, verse by verse, beginning in uh, verse number 19. Excuse me, verse 18. So they, they speak... And they say this, they call him a babbler. All right, the very first time I ever read that in the book of Acts, I just thought, you know, he's just, he's just speaking nonsense. Okay? And maybe to these people, when they're receiving brand new revelations, like, wait a second. There's something that kind of jumped out and grabbed a hold of me. But, you know, the rest of it, it was just basically gibberish. And so the very first time I remember as a believer reading through the book of Acts in chap chapter 18, I thought, well, to them, it just seemed like nonsense. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper here. The word in Greek here is spelled D-I-L-E-T-T-A-N-T, delante, all right? And it, what it literally means in the Greek, 
It means a seed picker. All right. And the illustration behind that is a bird. Okay. Hey, do you put out uh, bird seed for your birds? Okay. Most of us put out bird seed and it's like a multiple variety of bird seed. All right. And so the Greek uh, definition is that, that he was kind of like hopping around, grabbing from this poet, grabbing from this illustration of these shrines, grabbing about from this one illustration of an unknown God. He was kind of kind of picking here, picking there, picking there, and trying to put everything together. See, that's what it, it appeared to them. That he was kind of, there was some truth in this saying. And yeah, he kind of he kind of got a hold of me with this word and that word, but you know what? I'm a little confused. And if you notice that in the scripture, it says that. Because they, they say, you know, there's there's a hint of truth of what this guy has to say. So let's bring them before the council, those who are, who are used to hearing this on a daily basis. Now, all these people that Rob Scholl was speaking to that were part of this council, they were the upper echelon of intellect and philosophy of the known day. These were very, very bright individuals. And notice this, they did not have a regular job. They were officials. They were the council of the Athenian community. And so they brought him before this council so he could expound upon all these seeds that this babbler, this seed picker was doing. So let us go forward with this. And also the, in verse 18, it says this, that he sounds like a, a propagandist. What is that? To simplify that, that's someone who promotes a certain thing. Like a salesperson, they're out there to sell you their goods, right? And to make a profit. But notice this. They, they claim that he's a propagandist for what? For a foreign God. This is not a God that we're used to. All right? See, there was a synagogue in Athens, but there were very, very few people of the populace that were even attending that particular synagogue. Notice this, that he went first to that area, and he, he proclaimed the good news to the Jews there, and to the God-fearers, those are the Gentiles that are on their way to receiving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they're not there yet. But then the Spirit of the living God brings them outside of that and says, now go to the marketplace and start sharing the good news there. Start building bridges so that the good news can be proclaimed. But I'm going to have you do it a different way. I'm going to have you use the culture and start quoting the poets. All right? So Yeshua here is now being proclaimed to these people. And so the right response to him, to Yeshua, is not to put him to, into a ready-made box, but to have one entire, entire viewpoint to be changed. When you came first to Messiah, was that not a progress? Don't you know that salvation and sanctification isn't one, done in one day? If we were to instantaneously die, is our salvation secured? Yes. 
but the transformation of our lives and character, that takes time. As God's revelation is revealed to us, one increment by increment. And what, what is the outcome? How do we know that this is the process is being fulfilled? Because our minds, our ways of thinking, our ways of seeing God, our ways of interpreting scripture, the way that God has been changing our hearts. Has not your heart been changed from the very first time that you received Yeshua as your Messiah? See, he wants us to have what? Circumcised hearts. He wants us, our minds to be what? To be renewed by what? Through, through doing which? By the word of God. So this is an ongoing process. But to fully understand this, because of these Greek intellectuals, if Rav Shaul would have just started quoting out of Davarim Deuteronomy, they would have no reference point, form of reference. So the Spirit of living God says, I want you to go at this at a different angle. Because as the Spirit of living God removes the veil from these pagan people's eyes, and they begin to trust, then the Tanakh can be introduced to them. That this foreign God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, can be introduced to them. See, there has to be trust and verification. There has to be relationship built. And so this is what Rav Shaul is doing. And this is truly beautiful to see what the Spirit of the living God is doing. And so now as we look closer, they took and they brought him before the high council saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're now presenting. See, there was a check in their spirit. There's a void in human beings that only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can fulfill. And this is a searching after God. Let's go forward. It says in verse 20, some of the things that we're hearing from you strike us as being strange. It's like it's speaking to my soul. I can't put my finger on this, but what's coming out of this man's mouth, I identify, but I don't understand how I identify with it. See, there's now a stirring going on within the hearts and minds of these pagan people. Because now the good news is being proclaimed to people who have walked in darkness. A light is now being shown. The person, the reality of the Messiah Yeshua is dawning into their everyday lives. And there's a spiritual hunger here that's being stirred up. It's undeniable. They got to hear more of these words. Because you know what? In their philosophies and in their religions, there was no life. There was no hope. There was no destiny. Because as I shared last Shabbat, the Epicureans and the Stoics, many of them, the ending of their lives was what? Suicide. That's death. Here, Rav Shaul was breathing in life and revelation of the one true God. So going forward in Acts 17, 21, all the Athenians 
and the foreigners living there used to spend their spare time talking or hearing about the latest intellectual fads. What's going on today? People are doing the same thing. You know what's amazing? How many believers are spending more time on Facebook communicating with one another, talking about all this stuff, and spending less time in God's Word and in prayer and in fellowship with one with another? Let's move forward. 1722. So Shaul stood up in the council meeting and he said, Men of Athens, I see how very religious you are in every way. See, he's complimenting them. See, he's using a little sugar here. If he were to simply stood up and said, you know what? I'm going to call down fire from heaven upon you because you guys are worshiping all these false gods. They just would have seen him as a potential lunatic and they just would have simply shut him off. So going forward, for I was walking around and I was observing, I was looking at your shrines, and I even found an altar which had been inscribed to an unknown God. So the one whom you're already worshiping in ignorance. See, they had a conviction in their heart and say, you know what? There might be a God out there, and we don't want to offend him. So let's go and make up a shrine so we appease him. See, that was their mentality. They truly believed that if they are not allowing their children to pass through the fire and sacrificing to these fertility gods, that their crops would not grow or their animals would come with some kind of disease. See, that was the intellectual mindset of the movers and shakers in the city of Athens and permeated throughout all Greek society. Notice this. Europe is becoming more pagan now, and so is the world. These philosophies, people are now investing yet again in. There's an apostasy going on throughout the earth. People are leaving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're forsaking his word, and they're going after all these crazy winds of prophecy and doctrines. Does it line up with God's word? Today in our Torah uh, reading today, we serve an unchangeable God. His word is today. We need an anchor. See, these people were lost in a, an abyss, in an ocean of serving all these pagan gods. And they were not getting any joy in it. They were not getting life in it. And what, what many of them would do, they would simply go out and commit suicide eventually. Because there was no hope. And so Rav was giving them and sharing with them hope. And so then now he gives them the truth. And he says these words to him. And this is brand new revelation. Because they have many, many temples. They have many priests and priestess. And, you know, this was part of their culture, part of their family for generations. And so now he's revealing to them the one true God 
who created the heavens and the earth. Because, you know, the Epicureans and the Stoics, they had a mixture of belief that, yes, there was a, a divine power out there that created this, but, you know, he just didn't care, and he just took off. But Rav Shaul is saying, here's a God of love and mercy. Let's go back to the scripture here. So, the one whom you've already been worshiping in ignorance, and this is the one now I proclaim to you. I want to introduce you to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God. The God who did what? He made the universe. You see, part of, of the Stoics and the Epicureans, they believe this, that, that man in everything that lives, rain fell out from the clouds, and then all of a sudden everything just started growing. Man appeared out of nothing, out of the rain, okay? That was her theory going forward here. Who made the universe and everything in it, and who is what? The Lord of the heaven and Lord of the earth. See, of all these uh, pagan gods, they had certain areas of authority. They may be over the ocean, or they may be over the earth, or they may be over the uh, the clouds, there was the God of thunder. There was a God of lightning. The moons appeared as to be gods to them. And so he's proclaiming this to them. He is the Lord over heaven and earth. Rav Shul, you're saying that this is even greater than all these multiple pagan gods? That's right. And does not live in human-made temples. Notice that. Man-made structures going on. Nor is he served by human hands, as if he lacks something, since he himself is the one who gives life. All life comes from him. All human, all animal life come from him. And breath, everything to everyone. See, he's the source, not all these other gods going forward here. For from one man, see, he's introducing here, Adam, but he's not saying Adam by name. From one man, he made every nation living on the earth's entire surface. See, this is brand new revelation to them. They've never heard of it before. And he fixed the limits of their territories. That's recognizable. Empires, kingdoms, territories. Oh, this is the one who's overseeing this. We're not living by a whim of chance anymore. And the periods on which they would flourish. They've, they've heard of the Babylonian kingdom. They've heard about all these other empires that once were but are no more. And they're currently living under what? Not a Greek empire. Because Alexander the Great has already died. But who is now the empire but Rome? Their territories, their borders are set. And how long they will flourish? And one day, they will no longer be a power. Going forward, God this, did this so that people would look for him. They're searching. See, it's now speaking to their hearts because they're searching. Because you know what? They don't feel fulfilled when they go to these pagan shrines. It's unfulfilling. Let's go forward. 
that people would look for him and perhaps reach out and find him. Although, in fact, he is not far from each of us. All right? For in him we live, move, and we exist. Let's now dig a little bit deeper here. He's now before the high council, okay? And the name of this high council, they were underneath the Greek name, which is Arios. And then both these places rendered the Apagaeus. This was an area, which is present-day Mars Hill. In the King James, the god of war, Ares, by the Greeks, and Mars by the Romans. So he's on Mars Hill when he's proclaiming this to their high council. So going forward, in Acts 17, 22 through 31, that is to approach life intellectually, Shaul offers knowledge in lieu of what their ignorance. Have you ever met a very, very highly uh, doctor? recipient of all these doctorates, highly educated. They had doctors, so-and-so, PhD, 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 after their name. But basically, they had very little common sense. And so this is what Rav Shaul is dealing with here. He does not use the scriptures here at all, since these would carry no weight with these highly educated pagans. Instead, he quotes now from their poets, first from Epimedes, and then from Artatus and Cletus. Elsewhere, he, he uh, quotes Neander when he's dealing with the Corinthians. Have you ever read the scripture? 1 Corinthians 15, 33. And you think, well, this is based out of, of scripture. He's quoting from the Tanakh. But he's not. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. And I tell you, it wasn't till this past week, through my, my study of the scripture, that these things came to light to me. And this is the quote, bad company ruins good character. So don't be fooled. And so with that, who is he quoting here? But meander a Greek philosopher and poet as he's speaking with the Corinthian people. He's using part of their, their culture to bring out a biblical uh, proof, but he's not using the Tanakh to do it with. He's, he's now underlining the Tanakh as a foundational stone. And so with this, we see Rav Shaul using the culture and the poets, so that he can speak to them and build bridges so they can have common uh, effect of intellectual discussion one with another. So going on, Shaul presents God as creator, the giver of all, the ruler of all nations, the one who has written and established all history, and as one who seeks what? Our love. Where is that found? In Acts 17, 27 through 28. For in him we what? We live, 
we move and we exist. Indeed, as some of the poets among you have said, we are what? We're actually his children. See, that came from their, 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 their Greek poets. And so he's making common ground and saying this, the God that created the heavens and the earth created one man. And from that one man and woman, all the nations were birthed and came into existence. The creator God that created them is also your father. And he wants a relationship with you. So now we're asking you to set aside all these pagan idols, all these pagan gods, and now reach out and put your trust in the one whom he sent, who is Yeshua, who will one day come and he will judge everyone who has ever inhabited the earth. And this is proof to you. And what is the proof? He has raised him from the dead. And you know what? When Yeshua rose from the dead, and Pilate was witness that they could not find his body, don't you think that was broadcast throughout the whole Roman Empire? And part of the Roman Empire was Athens, Greece which is present-day Macedonia in the northern portion of Greece. So here was facts that he was then proclaiming to them, that there is a report that there is this person who is raised from the dead. But notice in the scripture it says this, that some of them began to scoff and say, you know what, I've heard enough. But there are others that came and they joined them to him. And one of them was a member of the Greek uh, high council. And we're given his name, Dionysus. And there was also a woman named whom? Demarius, who came to what? Came to trust that Yeshua is the Messiah. And from this planting, all right, of these seeds, think about the impact of a brand new baby believer being part of this high council as the spirit of living God transformed his mind and his heart. And he began to proclaim the good news to the rest of those individuals on that council. And how about this, this, this woman, as she reached out in her community, proclaiming Yeshua as the Messiah, because you know what proof in the pudding is this. Are there not two books that have been written? that prove that the work and the discipleship of what Sila, Silas and what Timothy did in their city of Thessalonica, do we not today have both First and Second Thessalonians? And it was later on one of Rav Shaul's journey that, that Rav Shaul sent Timothy to that congregation, that Messianic congregation in the city of Thessalonica, to encourage the brothers and sisters and, and to encourage them and to help them develop and to disciple them in their faith. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so know this, that even though we face an ever-changing culture and things are changing in our lives, we know this, that God is not changing. Neither is 
his word. He has placed in his word provision for us to have the ability to reach out to every man, woman, and child, no matter what language group they come from, no matter what cultural background they come from, God has given us provision to reach them with the good news. And so this is a truly a watershed moment in Rav Shaul's life where he's not just simply using the Tanakh, but he's now reaching into the culture and the language of the people. And he's reasoning with them by using their own poets to proclaim the good news. See, the same creative God who created the heavens, the earth, will give us creative ways and means. Think about what we're on right now, Zoom. Rob Shul neighbor had an opportunity. Just think about that. He could have simply stayed in Tarsus or lived in Jerusalem and just went on Zoom meetings throughout the whole known earth at that time. But it wasn't for such a time as that. We have more tools and resources. Think about how many translations of the Bible we have today. And the Bible helps that we have to proclaim the good news. You know what? One day you and I are going to have to give an account of how we use these tools to proclaim, not ourselves, and to build and cause a following after us, but to proclaim Abba Father God, His Son Yeshua, and the Ruach HaKodesh for us to go forth and make Talmudims, make disciples, bringing them to whom? To Yeshua. And what did Yeshua said, say to us? Simply lift him up. Proclaim him. And he will do what? He will draw all people unto himself. See, we have a simple task before us. But are we about doing our Father's business? We don't know how many more days we're going to be living on this earth. Are we to use our time wisely as the Lord gives us resource to impact those in our lives? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Acts chapter 17, for this portion is now complete.